And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome, I'm Dan Hesse, and I'll be your host today. Thanks for joining us. Our special guest is Admiral Mike Mullen, the retired chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and as such, the top military advisor to Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Considered one of the most influential chairmen of the Joint Chiefs in history, Admiral Mullen oversaw the end of the combat mission in Iraq and the development of a new military strategy for Afghanistan while promoting international partnerships, new technologies, and new counterterrorism tactics culminating in the killing of Osama bin Laden. A 1968 graduate from the U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis, Mike sought challenging positions, including command at every level, to develop his leadership skills during his naval career. He rose to be the chief of naval operations prior to assuming duties as chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Fast Company magazine called Admiral Mullen a case study in 21st century leadership. Mike teaches at the Woodrow Wilson School of International and Public Affairs at Princeton. He is also known for his efforts on behalf of service members, veterans, and their families. Admiral Mullen will share his experience rising through the ranks of the U.S. Navy, how he went from being in the penalty box to becoming the highest ranking officer in our military, the importance of mentors, how to lead during crises, and how values should shape your decision-making as a leader. Welcome, Mike. It's good to see you. Hi, Dan. It's great to be with you. I really look forward to this. Uh, me too. So, Mike, if you don't mind, can you start by telling us a little bit about your childhood, your parents, and how you ended up at the U.S. Naval Mil Naval Academy? Well, uh, like you, Dan, you know, my parents were Depression-era kids uh, that uh, grew up in the Midwest. They came to California, L.A. specifically, uh, and maybe Hollywood even more specifically to find their dreams uh, in the 40s. They met at uh, Republic Studios uh, and um, then got married and uh, raised five kids. I was the oldest of five, uh, grew up literally uh, in a place called North Hollywood uh, or Studio City. And my father in particular was in the public relations business. And he was a he was a very successful PR guy uh, from, uh, you know, from the get go um, and handled major clients, you know, back in the 50s and 60s and early 70s. Uh, and some of what I took away from him was that he, he was a journalism major, actually. And so uh, he and my mother were both great readers. So reading and writing was very important to me. And then I picked up almost by osmosis from my dad. Uh, uh, the ability to message and understand messaging and and to, you know what that meant. I wasn't really focused on it at the time, uh, uh, and I you know I enjoyed this. Uh, I'll call it a very idyllic uh, youth, uh, small town, Studio City. Uh, went to small Catholic schools, grade school and high school. Uh, only left the area once in my life when I was about eight years old. We went back to the Midwest. 
to see the farm area that my mother grew up in and lost in the depression and in Chicago, which is where my dad was from and ha having lost his parents early again, he, he put his way, paid his way through, worked his way through college. He was a first college graduate, uh, you, you know, in our family. Uh, and he was a very responsible, uh, people oriented guy. And I picked up an awful lot of those skills from him. So, um, what was special about the Naval Academy and what role did the Naval Academy play in your development? Well, oftentimes people ask me, how'd you get from Hollywood to the Naval Academy? And, and uh, uh, in retrospect, I think as I look back, I probably got a, as far away from Hollywood as I possibly could. Uh, what happened was, and I know this is called, you know, this is Mentors Radios. I actually had a, a, a father of a close friend of mine who had gone to the Naval Academy the year before I did who was a Beverly Hills cop and who, uh, and, and my dad had no military background. <clears throat> he was not, uh, he was medically disqualified from serving in World War II. But this Beverly Hills cop, John Gregory was his name. He kept chasing me because he'd been through the process with his, uh, his oldest son. He said, this is a place that really you ought to look at. This might be a good match for you. And it was really because of that mentorship, if you will, that I pursued that. So very late in the process, uh, my senior year in high school, uh, I decided that I'd like to go to the Naval Academy, having no idea, not having traveled there. I was only 17 at the time. Um, and uh, But I knew I needed to go someplace that uh, had some discipline and some structure. Uh, and at the time, you could go to the Naval Academy, actually, and it's true today, you can go there for two years and return with no obligated service. So in my 17 year old mine, I thought, well, that'd be pretty good. I'd go get two years of free education uh, and then return back home and go to UCLA, which was the place I actually wanted to go to. Uh, I, I actually had a basketball scholarship to the University of California, Santa Barbara. Uh, and if I'd have gone to Santa Barbara, it would have been a disaster. It would have been too many parties, too much beach, you know, too, too many of those kinds of things that would have attracted me, which is one of the reasons I went to Annapolis in the first place. So that's what really, I got recruited to play basketball at Navy and that's what got me there in the first place. So, um, so was, the, was there something special about Navy? Well, I just, and I think it's true actually with all the service academies, but I'm obviously biased towards Navy. I mean, when I showed up, uh, again, I hadn't been there. I'd grown up in Southern California. I remember arriving in Baltimore, it was 90 degrees and 90% humidity, and I didn't think you could live in that kind of weather. Uh, but what happened was that first day, you know, I met a thousand of my classmates, you know, on and off, didn't meet them all that day, but I met kids from all over the country and the, the country just opened up. It opened up my world and they were great young men back then in the sixties. This was 1964. Uh, it was all, it was an all male class and I met uh then young men who became fast friends literally for my entire life and remain so today um uh and i i so much i got exposed to other parts of the country other cultures in the country uh in a way that was very exciting uh, and so seeking the structure which i certainly got at annapolis and the discipline which i certainly got as well but it was really the friendships and the relationships uh, that uh, really made a difference that first year. So that 17-year-old idea that I'd leave after a couple of years just never never took root. 
uh, and I, I and I stayed the entire four years. And it was mostly because of the people and the excitement, and quite frankly, the the ability to start to see the world in a way that I just never saw in Southern California. Well, we'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Admiral Mike Mullen, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, as we discuss how mentors and the right assignments and experiences help shape one's career. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on List of Shows to listen to past guests. This is Dan Hesse, and you are listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I'm with Admiral Mike Mullen, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And we're talking about the importance of mentors. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. Mike, I read you had a command at uh, at every level during your career. You know, I know when, when I think of growing up in a big company, there was always this trade-off between field and headquarters where you'd go out and you'd have a command, you'd learn, you know, you'd learn more about the company, the business, the people, the customers, but you were kind of out of sight, out of mind. Can you describe how you chose assignments during your naval career? Um, was there a strategy? Did you do it yourself? Or were there perhaps mentors that helped advise and guide you, you know, through well, your career? You had indicated I commanded at many levels, and and one of the things that uh, I did early was, I mean, my my first ship assignment was to a ship uh, out of Long Beach, California, and a year later I'm off the coast of Vietnam, uh, providing gunfire support from a destroyer, USS Collette, uh, ashore to the Marines uh, and the soldiers up around the the uh, demilitarized zone, the DMZ. Um, and and like I said, uh, w- when I went to the Naval Academy, the country sort of opened up. When I got off the coast of Vietnam, the world kind of opened up, you know, and, and I found out there's a lot more out there than than I knew about. And again, it was exciting and it was responsible. I was responsible for a group of young men. I had a small division. Uh, I was learning my job. It was exciting. Uh, and then th- I sought after a couple of those tours. Uh, I sought command at an early age. And so at 26 years old. Uh, I commanded a small ship uh, out of Norfolk, Virginia, a uh, hundred, a uh, hundred sailors, and we deployed uh, in 1973 and 1974 to the Mediterranean by myself, quite frankly. And I enjoyed command. and And my mentor in my second ship had had command at the lieutenant level, and and he was as an exciting a guy as I'd ever been around. And it was that mentorship that actually made it a pretty easy decision for me to go to command. What happened, though, is I failed pretty quickly in that command. That was a two and a half year tour. Uh, and literally the first week I got the ship underway, uh, I collided with a buoy and, and you never want to hit a ship with anything. Uh, and in fact, I received an evaluation that was uh, I call it an F evaluation that essentially said, hey, you failed. You need to think about doing something else for for your career. Um, uh, that was early in that two and a half year tour. And so overall, that tour just didn't go that well. Although I loved command and I loved the sailors and I loved the responsibility. 
uh, to include being, you know, in the Eastern Mediterranean during the 73 war, just to give you an example of the excitement and opportunities and challenges that were associated with it. And I wanted to do it again. Well, in fact, it took me about 11 years to recover from that professionally. I'm a pretty persistent guy. And so persistence is part of, you know, what I talk about when I talk about uh, uh, leadership, among other characteristics. And uh, you learn pretty fast. I learned pretty quickly that I'm not the only one that fails. And that when you fail, it's less about the failure than it is what happens. What do you learn and how do you get up? And then lastly, with respect to the mentorship piece of it, there's no way I could have gotten through the bureaucracy of the United States Navy and recovered from that without my mentor, the same guy that had commanded, uh, that I'd worked for before. Um, and, and he helped me guide, uh, in a way to actually to get this paper. Uh, removed from my record, which was pretty significant. So I learned about failure early. And when I talk about leadership, I usually always start with some version of that story. Well, that's a that's a great story. A lot of us in the private sector, we would dust off our resumes and uh, and, and change companies. Start with a clean slate. That's a, but that's that's a great story of resilience. By the way, this is Dan Hesse. You are listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with Admiral Mike Mullen, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who teaches leadership at Princeton. So by the way, Mike, in, in choosing commands or assignments, uh, you know, we would have, again, think making the analogy to a business career, yeah. there'd be those plum jobs, the feathers in the hat, those really special commands that other great leaders before, let's say past admirals had taken, or there were these others that were kind of off the radar screen, perhaps, but broken, um, something that needed to get fixed that wasn't running so well. If you had to choose between, let's say, commanding the queen bee or going and turning around something that wasn't operating well, which would you choose? Well, it's a great, great question. And you mentioned, uh, you know, teaching leadership at Princeton. I've actually transitioned to teach leadership in the Naval Academy now. And this is part of the discussion in the course you know, that we have. And one of the things I learned, because I also had a pretty significant failure uh, many years later at the uh, captain command level, and I was commanding one of the queen bees at the time. Uh, in the in the second command that I had, however, it was a ship in big trouble uh, and it needed it, it needed more than anything else. It just needed a uh, leadership. Uh, and I brought that. And relatively speaking, that was a much easier job than taking over the best ship in the fleet. This is the one that I failed in again, or I had a pretty significant failure. Uh, um, and you take a ship at the top of its, uh, uh, at the top level and then try to improve on that. And I just found that to be much more demanding. Still, you know, it, it's more than doable when you, when you look at, at, at how you do things. But the easier of the two jobs was the one that was in trouble uh, because of the natural, you know, and I, I thrive on leadership, which is why I stayed in the Navy and the people that make things happen. Uh, so I've had a good comparison. You, you talked earlier about headquarters, too, just quickly, Dan. It's, I never went to headquarters until literally until I was a flag officer. Uh, uh, and I don't I don't uh, recommend this, but because headquarters actually does make a lot of important decisions. But I just never sought that out. I was a fleet guy forever. Uh, and then when I got to headquarters, seemingly as a flag officer, I almost never left. Um, uh, I think you do need a, a, a pretty good mix um, and and on a couple of pretty significant assignments, I thought I needed to go uh, one place and the system sent me somewhere else. 
And it turns out the system knew a little bit more about what I needed and what it needed at the time. We have in the in the Navy, we have something called the needs of the Navy. Uh, and no matter what you might want to do, if your timing is right and your background's right, they'll, the Navy would send you to certain jobs. So it's, it's a mix uh, in terms of assignments. And, and although you have a pretty good idea what you should do, sometimes you can't, uh, you, you can't actually get that done. And it turned out, as you know, uh, for me to, to be, you know, fairly positive in the long run about how I ended up. So by the way, you, you mentioned, you know, um, your people, uh, how, how do you get the most out of the people that work for you? The way I've described it forever, Dan, is, is I invest in them and they take care of me. And, and literally, I don't know what the percentage is, 70, 80, 90% of my time is to put them in a better place. I, I took, uh, a, a very strong liking early on in my uh, naval career to understand how people make progress in their various backgrounds. We have literally tens, if not hundreds of ratings, different skill sets, whether it's engineering or, or uh, you know, information technology and everything in between. Um, and so I under I wanted to understand how they could develop. Uh, and nobody came in the Navy to stay at the same pay grade. They came to advance themselves. Uh, so they'd like more training, more education. And so as I could seek to put them in a better position by providing the training, making sure they got the education, making sure they got promoted, they knew that about me, that investment, then put them in a position to take care of me, which is what I what they did time and time again. And in more important than taking care of me is turning our command, if you will, into a very, very successful organization. By the way, on the, on the subject of development, uh, I'll switch to self-development. You got a master's degree mid-career. One of the issues that, that people in the private sector deal with is the opportunity cost of going back to school versus continuing with your career and taking another job. What's your perspective on that? It, it is. I, I think uh, my, my overall sense is, and this goes back to the young seniors I taught at Princeton and the seniors that I actually teach at the Naval Academy. I, I think uh, there's a great opportunity in the you know from the time you're 21 to 22 to 31 or 32 to do both to try to figure that out. You typically you will have less responsibility. You can get out and see the world, and I think you should sample the world pretty significantly in other parts of the world or other parts of the profession before you really lock in. But at some point in time, it's very rare that a young uh, individual won't want to go get a master's degree in an advanced education and some even further on than that, which I highly recommend uh, as well. I went late, in fact, back to assignments. I wanted to go to that assignment out at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, which is an exquisite institution. Uh, but I went very late against my assignment officer's advice who said, OK, you go there now and your career is over. We've subsequently laughed about that conversation because obviously my career did just fine, even though it was a pretty risky discussion, uh, a pretty risky statement, uh, or I'm sorry, step to take at the time because of what he thought I needed to do, which ironically enough was go to headquarters. Well, we'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Admiral Mike Mullen. Remember, you can listen live to our Saturday broadcasts anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco 860, The Answer. This is Dan Hesse, and this is The Mentor's Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. 
Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I am with former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Admiral Mike Mullen, talking about the principles of effective military and business leadership. So, Mike, you are a career Navy man when you became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. My dad went to West Point, and I think the first two words that he taught me as an infant were beat Navy. So how did you effectively create a team from these five disparate services? Yeah, that's still a phrase I don't understand, Dan, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, um, I mean, again, I, I'm, I grew up, uh, my, my parents raised me as a people person, unbeknownst to me at the time. Uh, I'm a people guy, and I've invested heavily in people my whole life, and people and teams uh, and I'm a pretty good consensus builder. And so when you're at the four-star level, uh, and before I was the chairman, I was the head of the Navy at the four-star level, a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, and, uh, and, and then as chairman, obviously leading that group. Yep. It's a pretty strong, uh, it's a pretty strong group with pretty strong ideas, pretty big egos. Uh, and I was leading, you know, during the time of, War in both Iraq and Afghanistan, and so the, the 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 issues we were dealing with were at the highest possible level uh, of our government, and in and in fact internationally. And so there were notionally sixteen four stars I dealt with fairly routinely. And the way I tried to do that was first understand what their challenges were, uh, whether they were a service chief running the Navy, the Army, or the Air Force, or the Marine Corps or whether they were what we call combatant commanders, the operational commanders that actually are out there fighting the wars, and, and in, in this case. And in fact, I was a sailor when I took over the job, um, and uh, and basically I'm in charge of a military that's in two ground wars. And so I went to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan immediately to try to understand what was going on on the ground. And I, I, I throughout my life, uh, I have been, you know, tried to be, you know, off the bridge, out of headquarters, on the ground to see what's actually going on. Uh, the average age in our military is 21 years old of any unit, the, whatever service. They're the ones that carry the burden. And as a chairman, I wanted to make sure that uh, that they understood that I had I could take their concerns into consideration as I was making these decisions or recommendations to the highest levels of government, you know, every single day. So I constantly engage in that regard. And then specifically the way I did it, I mean, I took some risk when you're out of headquarters, particularly if you're the boss, it's a pretty significant risk uh, because meetings take place uh, uh, and you need to be represented in that meeting. The best representation is actually you yourself. But I consciously decided to be out of DC 40% of the time, which was a big chunk of my time. A lot of that, probably half of that was in Iraq and Afghanistan and other capitals around the world, uh, as well as around the country, because I needed to understand particularly the army, because the army bears the brunt of our wars. These kids were dying and getting wounded, and I wanted to understand their culture, and I wanted to understand their careers, and I wanted to understand how the army was doing all that. So giving me a deeper understanding of the other services, what we in the military called jointness, gave me great facility to have a meaningful discussion with a guy by the name of General George Casey, who was a good friend of mine and chief of staff of the Army, uh, or, or General Buzz Mosley, who was a good friend of mine and chief of staff of the United States Air Force, et cetera, or Jim Conway, who was a commandant of the Marine Corps, and have a much better understanding of what their requirements were and what their challenges were 
uh, and bring, bringing that to the table to create a team uh, of the Joint Chiefs with respect to dealing with these huge challenges that we have. This is Dan Hesse, and you are listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with Admiral Mike Mullen talking about integrity and leadership. So you had reported to military bosses, you're chairman of the Joint Chiefs, so all of a sudden you're reporting to civilian leadership. What was it like to provide advice to Presidents Bush and Obama? Well, I mean, just kind of a, it, it, it was a, the, the way I've described it when people asked about the job, you know, it was a great privilege. You know, a, a middle-class kid from Southern California could could both aspire, could, could aspire to and achieve you know, this kind of uh, position, which is a senior military officer in the United States of America, a country that I love dearly. Uh, and uh, and every time you go into the White House, which was a lot once you're in that job, the hair on the back of your neck ought to go up. Otherwise, if it's not going up, it's time to move on. On the other hand, you're moving into an environment I had never been in, which is a place where they do politics 24-7, 365. So I had to understand that culture better. I had to adapt to that culture. But at the same time, I was apolitical. Uh, my goal, my job was to give the best military advice. Uh, and we would privately have debates on major issues, uh, the, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, the bin Laden uh, uh, mission, et cetera, and many others, quite frankly. It was, a, it was an incredibly busy time. Iran and North Korea would be others that we debated and discussed. And then the president would make a decision and we'd all march off. Uh, and, and I understood that to be my job. The challenge was I was the only military person, you know, in the room, if you will. Uh, and that's just a tough spot. And it's it was less about there's no training path for that, quite frankly. When people ask me, young people ask me about how to get ready for the future, whether it's in the military or the private sector, my only answer to that is you have to take the toughest jobs you can possibly take because learning that early will help you in whatever jobs uh, you are uh, you are in down the road. And that certainly was the case for me, having commanded at so many levels, that served me exceptionally well You know, in that job as chairman. So Mike, how do you define success in life and in your career? I tell young ones right now, you know, at this age, you know, and I'm I'm no longer young. I'm in the what I would certainly call the last quarter, if you will. But and when I teach these young ones, both at Princeton and at the Naval Academy, uh, I, I say they should never they should think about what's important to me right now are, are faith, family and friends. They have stood me well my entire life and that you should never as an individual growing up, you know, put yourself in a position where somehow you can't you can't. That can't be a really significant part of your life, you know, throughout your life, but certainly, uh, you know, where I am in my life right now. Uh, and, and in that regard, I, you know, I have valued that uh, in, in incredibly, uh, you know, incredibly so, you know, my entire life. And that foundation has served me, you know, exceptionally well. So I, I you know, I talk about that uh, a lot with them in terms of what's important that they're doing as they're figuring out their careers, you know, in the long run. And, and then uh, you mentioned integrity early. One of the individuals that we actually study in this class is, uh, is Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was the senior prisoner of war during uh, Vietnam, who's written extensively and is such a mentor. He was a mentor to me, uh, but he was a mentor of so many people. Uh, and he he basically 
uh, lays out from an integrity standpoint, don't do anything that would stain your soul forever. You know, you need to to have this integrity, be able to look yourself in the mirror every single day. And when you get to a situation that uh, is going to possibly stain your soul, you walk away from it. You just don't go there. Um, and that's one of those lessons that I learned early and at the same time try to pass on to those that that come after me. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor and Princeton professor, retired Admiral Mike Mullen, to talk about leadership and decision making. This is Dan Hesse, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I'm with former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Admiral Mike Mullen, discussing leadership. So, Mike, you teach uh, at Princeton, where I think you have students look at their own values and principles and create their own framework for decision making. Can you describe that a little bit? I started teaching uh, at Princeton uh, about 10 years ago, um, uh, when uh, right after I retired. And I constructed a course that actually the, the title of the course was Achieving a Balance Between Military and Diplomatic Power. And there was a significant leadership part of this as well. But what I asked the students to do and what is a pretty confused world and certainly has become much more confused in the last 10 years to put together a framework of values and principles that they could hang on to to make decisions about their lives or even in their business. Uh, and to prioritize these values. So, uh, you know, honor, integrity, courage, trust, uh, national security, human rights, et cetera, sort of in the values column. And then principles to include, you know, delegation, uh, you know, it, it, the, you know, do you delegate or not? Uh, do, do you micromanage or what? And should you uh, at various times, you know, how you deal with your people? Um, and the principles are a little more flexible in terms of uh, circumstances or situations. The values have, have a tendency to to be really solid. And so both, you know, teaching at Princeton and now teaching at the Naval Academy in the leadership department, uh, I do basically the same thing with them. And it's really a, a, a good drill to go through with these young ones because they haven't reflected much at this point. They're all seniors. Life's going to change pretty significantly in a few months for them. Uh, they're going to take that next big step uh, and what they do next will be a, have a big impact on the rest of their lives. And so I try to get them to think through how to frame decisions for themselves and for groups and teams that they might lead in the future. This is Dan Hesse. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with former chair of the Joint Chiefs, Admiral Mike Mullen, talking about values and integrity in leadership. Um, so... Mike, can you give us an example of where perhaps you've used a framework like this to make a, a key decision during your career? So I mentor many of the four stars in the senior jobs, you know, that are there now and have for the last decade. And one of the things that I learned <clears throat> uh, in this, you know, working in this political environment uh, is you better have thought through what your boundaries are before you start the job, because you're gonna be put in a very difficult position. If you can imagine standing in the Oval Office in front of the most powerful individual in the world and having less than 30 seconds to make a decision, particularly if it's something that's, uh, you know, that's a difficult decision for you in terms of the values, your own values. 
Uh, and if you, the worry is if you haven't done the work before, that in the instant that you have the make that decision, you'll fold. Uh, and and uh, you'll regret that for the rest of your life. So, so thinking about it that way, and it's how I worked, you know, I, I put together before I took over as the head of the Navy, and before I was chairman, I put together a many page, a dozen page list of this, these are my beliefs, this is who I am. You know, as a new leader, everybody wants to know who the new boss is, what does he or she stand for? What do they believe in? And so I tried to to do that uh, in a way that would, in, uh, one, inform those about who the new leader was, uh, and secondly, to hold myself accountable. If I had one value that I learned in the Navy that's just uh, uh, almost overwhelming after integrity, it's accountability for your, for your team, for your for the output. Uh, and I worry we're living in a day, an age where not many people hold many people accountable, including themselves. So issuing that document told the team, hey, th this is what I believe in. And when I when I acted differently, they could call me on it, which I didn't do very often, but occasionally it would happen. And that was a good thing. So that's how I think about the value proposition uh, with respect to the, the teams and the people. And uh, I mean, time and time again, I mean, when uh, on an accountability standpoint, when you're a CEO of a ship, you, you, your career is in your hands every single day. Actually, it's in the hands of your troops. Uh, and that's one of the great joyful challenges to make sure you have a future, to inspire them to accomplish the mission, to succeed at the mission. And at the same time, uh, you're accountable for everything that happens, both good and bad. So how do leaders lead best, inspire their team, get the most out of them during a crisis or during, during battle? Well, I don't think you have a lot of time to, you, you don't have a lot of time to think, Dan. So whatever you are, that's what you're gonna bring to the table. Uh, I think you have to depend on who you are and operate within, you know, stay within your own skin, if you will. Probably have to follow your instincts a little more than you do on a, you know, in, in a normal day. I talk to young people about following their instincts, but that can't be the exclusive path. But in a crisis, you kind of have to, you, you you bring to the fight, you know, who you are. Um, gather good people around you, trust them, delegate to them. That's because and, and you don't have a lot of time. So there's not a lot of time to debate. You have to decide, you have to have the discussion and then make a decision and stay with it uh, and not try to necessarily explain yourself. The other thing I always tried to do, even in a crisis, was bring uh, individuals of wisdom into this outside views. I found myself as a senior leader, the more senior I got, the more I valued different views in order to make a decision. So, the, and, and the more of that I did, the better decision I made. So I would always, even in a crisis, try to bring individuals that I had a relationship with that I respected to get their views as we were going through the crisis. I remember you saying once that um, the best leaders in crisis also stay calm yeah. and kind of project a, a calm confidence, which is what the organization needs is like I was watching football games yesterday and they were talking about how important it was for the quarterback to kind of slow the game down and get everybody to take a deep breath. Um, I, I thought that was helpful. Yeah, I, I, your, your point there, and I, it's a great point. I'm glad you recall it because I have an innate ability to the worse it gets, the calmer I am. I don't know where I got it, but it also served me exceptionally well. And leadership, calm in a crisis is an absolute requirement. 
I, I agree. Just in watching the great leaders that during my career and my mentors, that's one of the things I learned. I don't think it was innate like it might be in you. I watched yeah. them and yeah. saw the effective ones were really calm and the ineffective yeah. ones were not. Yeah. So we're going to be right back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, retired chairman of the Joint Chiefs and advisor to presidents, Admiral Mike Mullen, discussing creating one's own leadership framework. You'll find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows. This is Dan Hesse, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I'm with guest mentor, former chair of the Joint Chiefs, and Princeton professor, Admiral Mike Mullen, and we're discussing leading during a crisis. Now, Mike, you've served on a number of large company boards. Um, what differences do you observe, if there are any, between effective military leadership and effective business leadership? Well, it's just, I mean, obviously, it's a, in many ways, it's a different environment, Dan, but it's still very mission-focused. Uh, everybody's trying to achieve what hopefully are clear objectives. Sometimes they cannot be as clear. Uh, and that's true both on the military uh, and, and in the private sector. Um, uh, I've observed, you know, great leaders. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I watched you at Sprint specifically and how much you invested in your people, which is, I think, one of the reasons you and I were attracted to each other in terms of just our styles. Uh, I, I was at General Motors with Mary Barr. She took over actually in the middle of a crisis, not I think three weeks in, we had a major crisis and she's was extraordinary and continues to be. And so great, I think great leaders have an awful lot in common. There are differences clearly in what, what a leader needs to understand about the business, if you will. But I think that's, that's more, you know, that's more specifics that, that, that become a part of becoming a leader as opposed to that much different. Uh, I do worry sometimes on the commercial side about the accountability piece just because I've been out there for over a decade now and that there's a uh, there there seemingly is from my perspective and I use the captain of the ship I mean when your ship goes aground it's pretty obvious you're leaving uh and uh you know on the commercial side I've seen that be a little murkier and 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 honestly I've seen that even in the military at some of the more senior levels sometimes where it's grayer uh, but I think that's a hugely important part, accountable, responsible leaders. Uh, uh, and the characteristics are oftentimes, you know, very much the same. You know, it's the integrity piece. It's the accountability. It's the responsibility. It's the mission focus. It's the dependence on people. And quite frankly, it's the mentorship. You know, I watched uh, Mary at General Motors bring in outside mentors, outside advisors, you know, which I'm very, very fond of in terms of having an impact at that level. And then maybe the last thing I'd say is, you know, at that level, you don't have many friends. You know, when you're the CEO or you're the chairman, you, there are not a lot of others like you. And so having a relationship that you can sort of share sea stories, if you will, and, and you know, share challenges and share solutions, I think, is also really important for uh, for any leader, you know, that, that's in a singularly high position. So uh, the last question I have for you, given our time, Mike, is, you know, we're in this COVID post-pandemic, maybe I won't use the word post-pandemic environment where a lot more work is 
done remotely. And we've talked about the importance of mentorship and development. Um, do you think it's possible to develop great leaders remotely or virtually versus being in physical proximity? I don't think there's an absolute answer uh, at all with respect to that. One of the principles in my life, if you will, is balance. And I, I, I probably would look to the future and see a more balanced uh, response, if you will, that certainly uh, depends on both some version of remote as well as some version of, you know, in the office or in the building or at the institution. At the same time, I just, and maybe it's me, I, I just don't see how you develop and interact and create the relationships, you know, that I've been privileged to be around and cherish to this day my whole life. You can't do that remotely. You've got to have enough in-person contact uh, to develop those in a very meaningful way in, in, in any organization. So I, I certainly realize there's probably going to be some version of remote work down the road, uh, but I think we need to be pretty careful as we understand the impact of that, particularly as it impacts our people and society and the social aspect of relationships, which when they are going well is hugely impactful on the success of any organization. Well, thanks, Mike, and I appreciate you spending the time today. I've enjoyed every minute and I could have spent many more We've been talking about one's values and how one's values create a framework for decision-making with former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mike Mullen. Please go to thementorsradio.com and subscribe. You can also listen to us online, on any device, anytime, on any podcast platform like Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then... This is Dan Hesse signing off for today. Remember, we're never too knowledgeable or experienced to stop learning. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, Copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.